It's Friday, April 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Last week, unemployment claims totaled 6.6 million, bringing the total number of applications to nearly 17 million since the pandemic has shut down huge parts of the economy. And as a result of so many people applying for unemployment, people are having a tough time getting through and completing the process. Dana Mattioli, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how tough the job market is right now. Next, one thing to keep an eye out while we social distance and stay at home, Americans are doubling down on some of their worst habits in order to cope with the mental and emotional stress of dealing with coronavirus. Alcohol sales and consumption are up, marijuana sales are up, and people are eating more and exercising less. Sarah Fisher, reporter for Axios, joins us for how virus vices are taking a toll on people. Finally, some space news. On Thursday, a Russian Soyuz rocket carried three astronauts to the International Space Station. It also marked the end of NASA's dependence on Russian rockets for human spaceflight. NASA was buying seats on Soyuz capsules for $86 million a pop, but will now be getting rides from SpaceX and Boeing. Daniel Oberhaus, writer at Wired, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. 1,000 people who are working on processing applications for unemployment benefits. Uh, That was like the number we used to get of applicants. Now we have 1,000 people processing applications. Joining us now is Dana Mattioli, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Dana. Thanks for having me. wanted to talk about jobs right now during the coronavirus pandemic that we're going through. Just a sign of how bad the economy is doing right now while the country is going through massive shutdowns. The latest numbers for unemployment, 6.6 million people last week had some new unemployment claims. Before that, it was 6.9 million, then 3.3 million the week before that. Mm -hmm. It's been a really tough time. We're nearly at 17 million people that have filed for unemployment right now. Dana, tell us a little bit about this just in general, kind of how bad it's been getting. With the economy sort of shutting down seemingly overnight, we're seeing giant companies taking unprecedented action. So Macy's and Gap and Marriott and Hilton, retailers, travel companies that have very little demand are shedding hundreds of thousands of jobs. And then other companies that might be more stable are instituting hiring freezes. So the unemployment numbers are pretty staggering right now. And it's a tough situation for a lot of these laid off Americans They're filing for unemployment. Everybody's heard the news that Congress passed more funding and more money for unemployment benefits. But there's so many people calling their local offices that people are having a hard time getting through. So while the services are there, they can't start them yet. So I know there's a huge backlog that a lot of people are going through. And it's frustrating because you have to have this balance of what to do next. People need to pay rent. People need to eat and support their families. And it's tough when you can't get in the line so quickly. There's a giant backlog from what people are saying when they're trying to file, not only for individuals that are laid off, but also people who run businesses. The Small Business Administration is just totally overwhelmed, and it's very hard for these people to get loans to save their own businesses. They are companies who are hiring. They might not be the most desirable right now because of the current situation, but in these tough times, a job is a job. And if you need some income, there are places that are hiring. Amazon right now is hiring a ton of people, but you're in a factory with a lot of other people, but they're hiring a lot. But do people want these jobs? 
people are clamoring for these jobs. People that are totally overqualified for these jobs want these jobs. So Amazon announced 100,000 new jobs just a few weeks ago at a time when a lot of people are being laid off or furloughed. And these are warehouse worker jobs where you don't need an education. You don't need prior work experience. You definitely don't even need like a college education or a GED. And what we're seeing, and we had a story today about, is people that run businesses and executive chefs and people that are white collar workers trying to get these warehouse jobs just to make ends meet. You made a a reference in your article that this has shades of the last U.S. recession 11 years ago where there was law school graduates, other big graduates turning to bartending or other low skilled work because the market had dried up and they needed to work in the meantime. So Amazon specifically, they've raised their minimum hourly wage. They're Mm -hmm. trying to recruit new people. And these jobs are filling fast. I think you mentioned they had 100,000 job openings. I think they filled like 80,000 of those already. They're having no trouble filling these jobs because they're so coveted because it's $17 an hour. When people have mortgage payments, they have kids, they have to put food on the table. The downside is a lot of the people I spoke to sort of came to this like moral crisis. They said, I need the money, but I'm afraid of going there and contracting the virus because these are warehouses with hundreds of people. Amazon, I know there was a lot of workers that were trying to walk out and prove a point. They wanted safer conditions there. What has Amazon done to help that? There's been a ton of walkouts. There have been at least 15 different warehouses where employees have contracted COVID. In response to this, Amazon has started to distribute masks to their warehouse workers to wear. That was not something that they had as a few weeks ago. They've also tried to space out the warehouses so that People are not within six feet of each other, which is sort of a hard thing to do. They also gave those workers paid time off if they felt ill or contracted the virus. So there are some measures, but as you can imagine, these jobs are the lowest at the totem pole at Amazon. At the white collar level, Amazon workers make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. These workers make $17 an hour. So if they were to get sick, I mean, these are huge hospital bills people coming out of COVID are facing. And then that's where the balance is. Do you risk getting sick or do you risk not being able to pay your rent? You talk to a lot of people who are going through this. One in particular, he was a young guy. He's a 30-year-old. He used to do touring merchandise for musical artists. He applied for Amazon. I guess he got the job, but then at the end, he decided just to file for unemployment. He decided the risk wasn't worth it to get coronavirus. That's right. I spoke to um, the touring merchandising manager who makes his money with different musical acts at their concerts. And he makes pretty good money. He makes $65,000 a year in Tennessee. But then all of his concerts were canceled through August. And he was just in the middle of closing on a house, actually. So he applied at Amazon because they're the only place where he could find a job. He got accepted. And, you know, his first day of work, he couldn't show up. And he told me, you know, the risk of getting COVID wasn't worth it for $17 an hour. Dana Mattioli, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime. Alcohol sales are up 55% in the last week of March. We're seeing weed sales go up in places where it's legal. Porn consumption is up. We have people talking about eating too much, worried about gaining the Corona 15. Joining us now is Sarah Fisher, reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. So we're all going through our various lockdowns across the country in varying degrees, but for the most part, a lot of Americans, I think it was over 90% of Americans are experiencing stay-at-home orders. And what's going on at home varies. One of the interesting things is that 
this lockdown could be kind of unhealthy for Americans on many levels. It's keeping us alive because of the social distancing and limiting the spread of coronavirus. But what we do in our homes, like I said, just continues to vary. A lot of Americans are doubling down on some of the worst habits that they have to cope with the mental and emotional stress of this pandemic. Sarah, tell us a little bit about this. So I think you're right. It depends on the household. You're hearing some people say, look, this is the best thing that's ever happened to my family. My teenage kids are home for dinner every night. I haven't spent this much time with my husband since he travels for work. So you're starting to hear some good stories. But to your point, we're also hearing about a lot of bad habits. So what do those look like? Alcohol sales are up 55% in the last week of March. We're seeing weed sales go up in places where it's legal. Porn consumption is up. We have people talking about eating too much, worried about gaining the Corona 15. And then, of course, it's hard to exercise. Gyms are closed. For people who live in cities and rely on walking to work and walking outside of the home, they're not getting that fitness. So even though it is keeping us alive, you're right. A lot of people are doubling down on some bad habits to cope with this. And I want to take a little step back. I want to go through some of these individually a little bit. Alcohol sales, you said, were up 55 Spirits up 75, wine 66%, and beer up 42%. Obviously, bars and restaurants are closed, so people don't have this chance to go out, so they're doing it at home right there. You mentioned weed sales up. Early on when this happened in, in California, and I'm sure it was the same in other states, these marijuana dispensaries were deemed essential businesses. And I know that they've seen huge sales. Some of them maybe even didn't expect it for themselves. On the porn consumption Pornhub, which a lot of these metrics end up coming from them with regards to traffic and things like that, they were giving away free premium memberships to people in France and Italy to encourage them to stay home. And then as far as like eating more, I'm definitely in that category. You know, I've been cooking a lot more, which is great. We've been ordering a lot, supporting our local businesses. But man, I am eating so much at home and then going straight to my Netflix and just chilling out, watching TV, playing video games. That's another thing here. Gaming has boomed a lot as well. So let's go back to some of those vices that you mentioned in the beginning. A couple things to note with the alcohol sales. I don't know necessarily that regulators have this in mind, but you have to remember about 80,000 people in the United States suffer from alcoholism. If you are in withdrawal, that's a serious medical condition that hospitals are not able to cope with right now. So when you look at it from that perspective, it does make sense that you want to keep liquor stores open as essential services because people otherwise who are addicted to alcohol would end up in hospitals. The other thing you should know is that a lot of those alcohol sales that are up are spirits. They're hard liquor. And what that suggests to me is that people are stocking up on types of alcohol that's going to last, it doesn't need to necessarily be refrigerated, and that's highly potent. You don't have to drink a lot at a certain time. It's a lot different than buying beer. Not many people have room in their fridge for beer right now when they're trying to stock up on food to limit grocery store visits. So when you drill down to a lot of these habits, they really do make a lot of sense. So I don't want to suggest that Americans are going off the rails, but what it does suggest is that People really do need to cope with this virus in unique ways, whether it's, to your point, streaming more video or playing more video games, drinking more alcohol or watching more porn. Everyone's got their own method of madness here. A hundred percent. I mean, you think about the crazes that were going on at the supermarkets, everybody buying up toilet paper, trying to stock up as much as they can in case you don't go anywhere for two weeks. And you're right. And all of these things are 
those things that people need to get through the time, you know, or even their own fears. You know, they might be afraid. I can't get out. I'm not going to be able to get this. Uh, You're talking about people that have addictions and whatnot. I might not be able to get out and get those things. So they're going to stock up on those. It does take a toll. So these are some of the physical tolls, but there's a lot of emotional and mental health tolls that are also being taken. I know there at Axios, you guys were conducting some polls and people say that their mental health, their emotional health is also taking a big hit by all this. That's absolutely right. And I think part of the reason for that is that as weeks go on, more and more people are losing their jobs. They're feeling insecure about the future of their work. Even if they haven't lost their job yet, they think they might. And more and more people say they know someone who's been diagnosed with the virus or that a family member has been impacted. These things are taking a heavy toll on people's emotional well-being. And as a result, We're also starting to see some of that play out in the home, unfortunately. We have seen increases in domestic violence skyrocket across the United States and in places around the world where there are heavy lockdowns. We're also seeing people go out and buy guns. Gun sales had their second highest month last March, simply due to the fact that people are so worried about this virus, they think it could cause civil unrest and they want to be prepared. It's truly truly a one-of-a-kind situation. Sarah Fisher, reporter at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to see the boosters at the bottom light up, and as their thrust builds, it'll eventually overcome. And lift off. Joining us now is Daniel Oberhaus. Writer at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. Thank you for having me. So on Thursday, three astronauts flew to the International Space Station. They left the planet with little fanfare, no family members at the launch because of what's going on with coronavirus all over the place. So Chris Cassidy from NASA and two Russian cosmonauts all went up to the International Space Station. This was kind of a historic flight in a sense. Daniel, tell us a little bit about that. For the last nine years, NASA has relied on Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, to get access to the International Space Station. When the shuttle program ended in 2011, America no longer had access to space, so they've relied on Russian launch vehicles called the Soyuz. So this is actually going to be the last time that the United States is dependent on a Russian vehicle to send astronauts to orbit. Now, with SpaceX and Boeing working on commercial crew vehicles, we'll be able to return human flight back to the United States. And that's been in the works for some time. We've been hearing stories for a while already about these private companies gearing up their space programs, the rockets to be able to send our own astronauts out there. So this is the next thing. This is the next phase for the United States and NASA. The first company to fly is expected to be SpaceX, which will send two astronauts on a demonstration mission perhaps as early as next month. They will stay at the International Space Station for up to six months doing work just like they normally would. But the purpose of this mission is to show that SpaceX can safely send astronauts to and from Earth. If that's successful, then you can expect NASA to start using uh, American launch providers to get their own astronauts into space, just as it has been for most of America's spaceflight history. Tell us a little bit about the cost of this, how much it costs for us to hitch a ride on these Soyuz vehicles. 
The thing about being the only provider of a service is you kind of get to set your own prices. And so since Russia has been really the only game in town in terms of sending astronauts to space, they have steadily ratcheted up the price of a seat on their rockets over the past decade. In 2006, NASA was paying about $20 million per seat. Today, it's around $86 million. It's quite pricey to get to space these days on a Russian rocket. SpaceX is promising to drastically reduce this cost when NASA contracted with them in 2014. The estimated price for a seat on a SpaceX Crew Dragon is around $55 million. Part of that is because they can reuse their rockets, but also Elon Musk has just demonstrated that he knows how to make a product cheap, reliable, safe, and to do it over and over again. So NASA is expected to see really large cost savings by bringing spaceflight back home. The seat on the Boeing Starliner, though, was a little bit more expensive. I think it said $90 million, but there was some debate as to whether it was actually that much or not. A few months ago, NASA's Office of Inspector General released kind of a damning report of Boeing's human spaceflight program, which has had a number of setbacks. In December, they did an uncrewed demonstration mission to the International Space Station. They had a bunch of things go wrong, so that set them back several months. And then shortly after that, a report came out saying that a seat on a Boeing vehicle is actually going to cost more than it would with a Russian vehicle, so about $90 million. Boeing took a lot of issues with that, saying that they can also put cargo on their spacecraft as well. So they're saying, well, it's like having a fifth person on board. So there's some debate, but there's no question that SpaceX is drastically cheaper than anyone else who can fly humans at this point. Chris Cassidy is our astronaut here from NASA that's going up there. What's he going to be doing? And then how have they been preparing during this whole thing with coronavirus? I'm sure they had to have been quarantined themselves, just can't get sick up in space. It it would be a disaster, I'm assuming. So how have they been preparing? So Chris Cassidy and his two flight mates, both Russian cosmonauts, are going to be doing typical astronaut activities. They're going to be doing science experiments. They're going to be joining three other crew members that are already at the International Space Station. And you're right, prior to launch, they were quarantined just like the rest of us are. That's actually pretty typical. Before any space launch, whether or not there's a global pandemic happening, NASA and other agencies tend to keep astronauts isolated from the rest of the population just because you don't want to be bringing the flu or some run-of-the-mill sickness into space where you're in pretty close quarters with people for months on end. You don't want to have to try to rescue someone from orbit. The only thing that's really changed now is that their quarantine is a bit more strict. So typically astronauts who are headed to space from Russia, or actually rather from Kazakhstan, that's where the Russian spaceflight facility is, they spend a few weeks in a place called Star City. They have cabins there. It's in the middle of the Kazakhstan desert. There's not a ton to do, but you know they can go into town. They can eat at restaurants. Their family is there to watch them, see them off, as are lots of well-wishers. They come out in the streets. There's a little parade as they go to the launch facility. That's not happening this time just due to an abundance of caution. The astronauts' families can't come see them off. They've been pretty much confined to their cabins no going into town, none of that. So it's a little bit more strict than usual, but nothing that astronauts like Chris, who's flown multiple times, aren't already used to. Daniel Oberhaus, writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.